Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Bridging the Gap with Tariq El Amin. You can keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you will find us at BTG with T-I-E. That's BTG with T-I-E. You can use that same username to find us and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, uh, just to name some of those platforms. So that's at BTG with T-I-E. So subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, do not forget to share. All right, family. The beautiful thing about democracy, or at least the appearance of democracy, is that everybody's vote and voice counts that it represents the will of the people. That is a beautiful sentiment. It's a beautiful idea. But the idea and the practice have rarely, if ever, matched up. I can't help but think about the 2016 election and how Donald J. Trump received possibly more media coverage, or I should say within value, he received $2 billion worth of media coverage, more than any other presidential candidate ever. And everybody was at his rallies. And you think about the will of the people and you think about how our media plays a tremendous role in shaping the opinions, the outlooks, the values of the people in their presentation of news. And not just news. Of course, we can also look at, you know, movies and television. We can look at uh, satellite radio. And of course, these are all relatively new, um, new platforms for us to engage, uh, for us to consume information. Uh, historically, We've had uh, newspapers, right? We've had magazines. And those have been the mirrors that have been propped up in front of us to see ourselves and also to see those around us. And in a pluralistic society, in a society where our motto, right? State seal, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. That mirror, that mirror can carry some great great consequence how do you see the many do you actually believe that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts or do you think that somehow the part that you represent that you contribute is somehow greater than the whole there's a tremendous impact on our worldview there's a tremendous impact on the way we see ourselves and we see those around us. And these mass communication tools and platforms have done more to influence that perception than anything. Those platforms have done more in the modern era to shape how people see those who don't look like them, 
or speak a different uh, language or worship differently, those platforms have done more to influence the perception of others, even more so than their own. I shouldn't say even more so, but often taking the place of personal experience where they've actually had in-depth relations and conversations with people. They have taken those representations given by those platforms, by the newspapers, by the magazines, by television. They have taken those as a real representation of who those other people are. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous when we think about what democratic values actually mean. And when we think about a functioning democracy and we think about a nation that actually celebrates its diversity or should celebrate its diversity. So when I think about Trump getting $2 billion worth of coverage, right, more than anybody else, I think what, what is the actual message that we're really trying to send to the people? What are the values that we're really trying to cultivate in the people? And those and the answer that I, that I come up with, you know, I could be wrong. I don't think I am. I think history proves that democracy is only valuable if it can be controlled by a select few. Democracy in and of itself has no value in a capitalist society and a society where the goal is the attainment of material wealth and not just the attainment of it, but the control of that wealth by a select few. Democracy is only valuable if it serves that end. It's not valuable if it actually serves the will of the people. And our history shows that. So I think I think quite often our media have operated. Because they've operated with that awareness because they are. They are. In the business of making money. They're in the business of turning a profit. And there's nothing wrong with turning a profit, but when profit becomes your aim and it overrides, I shouldn't say your aim, but when profit overrides um, journalistic integrity, and by that I mean to actually present information in a fair, and I would say unbiased, right? But I think studies are starting to show that those biases are really difficult for us to get away from. We have to, you know, you got to own your biases. I'm a black man. I'm a Muslim, right? I'm a son. I'm a father. I am blah, 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 right? I'm all of these things. And these things impact the way I see the world. They impact the way the world sees me in a society where race has been a defining characteristic of value of human worth where race has allowed you access or been the, 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 the point of your denial. These, these are realities. And just because it's a social construction does not make it any less uh, real or have any less impact in your life. So we got to own those biases. We got to own those things which shape how we interact with the world. But their goal, as I said, you know, it's the bottom line, right? It's not, you know, creating an informed electorate or a an electorate that is 
sensitive to and aware of the diversity among itself or within itself, uh, creating an appreciation for differences. It's not necessarily about that. Because what's the old line? There's there's a line in uh, in, in the newspaper business. It says, uh, if it bleeds, it leads. All right. That means tragedy, destruction. Um, those things are scintillating. Those things are attractive. People are going to stop to look at those things. It's not about educating people. It's about entertaining them. And even in the presentation of tragedy, there's an element of entertainment that exists within it. So from a uh, perspective of creating of an informed electorate or an informed and educated society, our media, that's not their job. That's not their main focus. Now, we do have some outlets that really do focus on that's their niche. It is to present stories, uh, to present information in a way that uh, that educates, that uplifts. Um, I love my folks over at uh, NPR. You know, I really do uh, for the work that they do. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, in a second, I'm going to talk a bit about one of those stories, I think, which really represents, you know, in a, in a nutshell, that the allegiance is not to democracy, but it is it is to control. It is to power. That is the allegiance. The head of CNN International back in 2016 or 2017, he talked about how Trump was good for business because if the value of the media coverage he got was two billion. Then, of course, you got to ask how much money did these news outlets, these organizations, how much money did they make? And according to the uh, head of uh, CNN International, I think this is back in 2016 and 2017. He talked about how Trump was good for business. He said everybody that Trump targeted, whether it was CNN, uh, the New York Times, Washington Post, Stephen Colbert, uh, Saturday Night Live, whoever it was, their viewership all went up. And if their viewership goes up, that means what? That means that they can charge more money for advertising because that's where you make your money. So they made more money. And of course, who is not happy? to make more money. If you're in business, you're happy to make more money. So they had no problem with showing up at each of his rallies, giving him a platform when he didn't deserve one because they realized that from an entertainment perspective, that Trump was good for business. They are an extension of the corporate interests that actually control our government, that fill the coffers of our elected officials, Maybe their goal, I'm not going to say maybe, I believe that their goal is not the protection of democracy. Uh, they use the word democracy as cover, much like our government, unfortunately. And I should, I should not even say our government because that is too much of a blanket. It is too general. There are special interests that control our government and our elected officials, those people which fill the coffers of our senators and our Congress people, which dictate policy, our engagement here and abroad. But they use the claim of democracy. They disperse our armed forces, our men and women in the military to uphold democracy, to promote liberty. When in actuality, just as they have done here, they do abroad, they're 
real goal is the subversion of democracy, particularly when it has not aligned or does not align with Western interests and corporate gain. This is the, the history. The history tells you, and it's not even ancient history, right? I'm not even going back to 1804, right? When Haiti achieved its freedom. When Haiti became the first successful slave rebellion or the first successful revolution of enslaved persons, right? Because we don't, you know, God does not make slaves, right? He does not make us slaves to other people. But the United States, our democracy, refused to recognize the country for more than 60 years. How could you how could you not recognize free people, people that said we want democracy too, we want self-determination too. We want we don't want to be controlled by a foreign power. But our nation refused to recognize Haiti for more than 60 years. And of course, it's because the United States at, the, at that time continued to be hypocritical. You know, in its proclamations of uh, of, of of guaranteeing the the freedom of the individual protecting the pursuit of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness while it simultaneously continued to enslave millions of its own citizens because that was not in the interest of the United States to have its own enslaved individuals see a successful rebellion, a successful revolution. They might get some ideas. If that was not bad enough, look at the crippling economic embargo placed by France and the United States on Haiti. Those sanctions lasted until 1863. And also add to that repeated, repeated military incursions into Haiti where they tried to resubjugate them and each time pushed back. Each time pushed back. We'll probably have to do a few conversations just on Haiti, you know, from, from then till now. Or we can come a bit more recently. Uh, and this one especially, I think, because it relates to the current tensions that we are seeing with the U.S. and Iran uh, due to the drone strike which killed uh, their General Soleimani, their top, uh, top, top general, the leader of the Quds Force, that leads us back to the 1953 involvement, not involvement, but the 1953 coup in Iran that was orchestrated by our own clandestine service. All right, matter of fact, it was the grandson of President Roosevelt. Uh, NPR did a really, did a great piece on this. Uh, I would highly recommend checking it out. It's not, it's not even 40 minutes long, but they talk about the four days uh, that it took to destabilize Iran's government. And this was because, right, this was because their duly elected, democratically elected prime minister, Mohammed uh, uh, Mossadegh, had intentions on nationalizing Iran's oil. Right? They were cutting Great Britain out of the picture. Great Britain controlled their oil. And, you know, he's like, no. We're going to work, well, I'm going to work on behalf of the uh, Iranian national interest, and we're going to take control of our natural resources. 
long story short, long story short, Roosevelt, he seized control of the Iranian press, bought them off with bribes, circulated anti-Mossadegh uh, propaganda, and I think he, he even involved um, religious clerics and, uh, you know, got him out of there. You know, he's gone. And now we are where we are today. Of course, we've skipped a lot of stuff, but the point is democracy didn't matter. Control and power is what mattered. Go to 1961, the assassination of Patrice Lumumba, the first democratically elected prime minister of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. He had intentions on taking control of their nation's vast natural resources. Chief among them, uranium. This is the same element that was used to manufacture the first atomic bombs, the same bombs which would fall on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Now, once again, the independence, the self-determination, the democracy of these Africans, of these people, was a threat to American interests. So the cover of democracy, it was discarded. It was thrown away. It had no use. So democracy is not the aim. Think about where we are as a nation and the common problems that we have. I think back to a Federal Reserve survey, and I originally read this in a CNBC um, article, a poll, and it said that 40% of Americans would struggle to come up with even $400 to pay for an unexpected bill. $400. And 40%. That means that there is there's a problem with not just with wealth. There's a problem with wages. You can't point to declining unemployment and think that somehow that is an achievement when you have a statistic like that. 40% of Americans. So there may be climbing employment, but dare I say that that might just represent underemployment where folks are working multiple jobs but still not really being able to make ends meet. There's a problem there. There's a, there's a big picture that we aren't seeing. And they're throwing statistics at us. And, 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 and too many people are getting lost in those statistics and thinking that somehow it is just them that needs to work harder, that needs to do better, that somehow they just aren't making the right decisions. But in reality, it is that special, those special interests, that small portion of society that is actually controlling our democracy, that is doing well. And they're doing well because so many others aren't. We have big problems. We have, we have problems that are shared that go across the spectrum that go across the gaps that we have uh, erected and believe that somehow are what really matters. I think it was the last debate, Senator Elizabeth Warren, she mentioned that 36 million Americans didn't have a prescription field because they couldn't afford it. I think to my own mother, who is a senior, and how quite often as we're talking, she's telling me about the cost, the co-pays that she has that are, you know, and I'm, I'm just grateful that she's able to pay for them. 
but they are ridiculous. And I know so many seniors are not in the same position that they become a hardship. There's something wrong with health care. I can't figure out how the electorate, how the American electorate somehow justifies, is okay with the United States of America not being one of those 18 countries that offers true universal health coverage. Australia, Canada, Finland, Germany, Hungary, Iceland, Ireland, Israel, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Portugal, the Slovak Republic, Slovenia, Sweden, Switzerland, and the United Kingdom, but not the United States of America. Here, we have people, we have seniors who have to make decisions between food and prescriptions. And it is not a matter of us being able to offer it. It is simply the will to do it. And the will, the will that should reside in the people, the fire that should be lit up underneath us, it doesn't exist because the picture that we are receiving from our mirror, from our media, more often than not, is one that tells us that, well, that's just really not an option. And even when they they show us the, the different stances that those seeking office have, when their pundits, when their analysts are talking about them, they do it in very subtle and slighted ways. Wherever you are, wherever you stand on the issues, just be clear that you stand there quite often because you've been placed there. You didn't come to you didn't come there by yourself, right? The coverage, the the way that the information is presented. It has a great deal to do with why you think the way you think. And I don't pull myself outside of that, right? Because uh, I'm with you. But if you don't stop, if we don't stop and take a look and, and see the problems that we have, that these are our problems. And we haven't even gotten into criminal justice. And this is not a black or brown problem or black and brown problem. This is a United States of America problem. This is a, this is a human problem. This is a problem with our humanity. See, there is no way that you can do harm to another human being, that you can oppress and exploit and damage another human being without compromising your own humanity in doing so. There's no way. And because of that, because we have denied that as a nation, a nation that refuses to this day to take responsibility for the harm for the damage, for the degradation, for the brutality inflicted upon its African-American citizens, we remain a nation at odds with itself. We have not gotten over the harm we've inflicted, and that is a stain on not just our national consciousness, but it is, it is a, a mark. It is a gaping wound in the soul of our nation. So criminal justice reform it is about our national health, that our health as human beings, not as not as Americans, but as human beings. And these are things that are easily changed. So I got to give a uh, just a, a quick shout out for the beginning of addressing some of the wrong done through unjust policies and uh, an oppressive and a racist criminal justice system. The legislation that was passed here in Illinois 
uh, which as of January 1st, immediately expunged the criminal records of, uh, of about 11,000, 11,000 folks, primarily the majority black and brown folks who were convicted of, I think, possession of less than 30 grams of marijuana. As Illinois also became the 11th state to legalize the recreational usage of marijuana. And we also have uh, legalized the sale of it uh, as well. But in doing so, they also look to redress the harm done through those racist and oppressive uh, policies. And it is just the beginning. And hopefully other states around the nation will pick that up, will take that on. But my, my real hope is that it really leads to a, a deepened awareness and an appreciation for reparations because restorative justice in and of itself, it implies that you're being made whole again. But I'm going to contend that our achievement, our participation more often uh, in the democratic process, in the economic uh, uh, process, economic life, educationally, in every facet of life here in the United States of America, it has been one that has been met with barriers and not just barriers, but it's been one where, you know, it's been met with gunshots, met with bombs, right? Go back to uh, Black Wall Street. Go back to the numbers of, uh, of black leaders that have been assassinated. You know, whether you're talking about Fred Hampton Jr., Malcolm X, Martin, um, that life has been subverted. And what we don't understand is that these are our problems. These are our issues, our mountains to climb for us to get over, to become better from, to be able to see ourselves clearly. So let me get back to the real world implications. So we're talking about democracy. We're talking about um, how it's been used as a cover. And we're talking about how our media often replicates the activities and the mission of our of, of, of the strings behind our government. Because shaping public perception has been integral in having support for our activities abroad, even if those activities run counter to the values that we assert, uh, that we claim to uphold. So public perception is a major part of that. So right now we are looking at an election. It is coming up and I'm going to I'm going to close out with this. When I saw the last debate and I saw that question or the uh, really was a baseless accusation. I felt that it was manipulative to inject that statement into the debate, asking Senator Sanders why he said that a woman could not be president when he had previously denounced the statement. He said, I didn't say it. He denied it, said, I didn't say it. My record shows that that's not something that, um, that I would even you know align myself with would not even align myself with that type of thinking. And then invited folks to go look at his record, check them out 30 years ago, listen to what, to what I said. That statement right there, by putting that into the debate and the back and forth that took place after it and the impact that that would potentially have on the American electorate, that just showed the power of that special interest. No one is interested. Our special interest, the pharmaceutical, big pharma, they are not interested in a universal 
health care in, in, in true universal health care. They are not interested in that. And there's not another candidate in this election who is actually willing to make that happen. And that has real world benefit for millions of Americans. This is something that makes us stronger and better as a nation, makes us stronger as people. And the only people that don't want to see something like that happen are that select few who think themselves to be above everyone else, who don't believe that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. They're not interested in democracy. They're not interested in what is actually best for the nation. They're interested in what is best, what furthers their own specific interest. And they are more than happy to sacrifice you and I for them. Now, of course, I only spoke about one issue, that last issue about universal health care. But there are other issues on the table. And having someone to give us more of the same, that's all we get, is more of the same. If we're interested in seeing, seeing something better, something different, then we have to do something different. Be wary of those who tell you what can never be. For what would a majestic oak be if it believed it must remain a seed? All right, thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow and like our pages on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, BTG with T-I-E, and subscribe to the podcast. I'm going to leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.